Hello and welcome to Series 6 of the Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries. We hope this podcast can bless you in your day-to-day life as you listen to a range of testimonies about God's faithfulness within the lives of so many. The views expressed in this podcast don't necessarily reflect that of Preset Ministries UK. But without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be welcoming Mike Robbins to the podcast today. Mike is currently the Senior Partnership Manager uh, with the charity Compassion, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. Uh, he grew up in Dorset in a non-Christian family, and after leaving school, he worked in engineering until being called to full-time ministry. Mike nearly died in a boating accident at four-year-old, as a four-year-old. Uh, he had a dramatic experience of God while pastoring a church in Cornwall. Uh, he loves people. He loves seeing people set free. And his personal escape is kayaking. So, Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Um, now, Mike, how did you come to faith in Christ? First question. And second question is, why do you follow Jesus? Okay, so um, so I was brought up in a pretty atheistic background. Um, there was no faith in my family whatsoever. Um, I was tall, so uh, which meant uh, that was a kind of free ticket into the pubs when I was 13. Um, so very rapidly went down a drinking kind of party route. I was brought up in Bournemouth. Grew up in Bournemouth. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, and so what happened was was I, I began to get drawn into a very uh, I, probably, probably quite a sinister world, I guess. There was a little bit of a cult in the family uh, on my mother's side and basically just ended up in party land. Um, and to, to be honest, would have I would have considered myself to a great degree to be a kind of life and soul of a party kind of person. I had a good sense of humour. Um, but the problem was, with that lifestyle was, I actually lost track of who I was probably from the age of 12 onwards, when, when I began the chaotic side of my life, um, I began to live a persona that I presume people would want me to be. And so um, I didn't realise it, of course, uh, but yeah, just just gradually slipped down into the abyss of drink, mm, yeah. selfishness and mm. all that stuff. So what happened? <laughs> well, it was... <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming you're not still in this lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm not. Um, so what happened was uh, was I, I met my wife-to-be um, when I was 19. Um, sh- she had a flat. Uh, we met, fell in love. We were both quite heavy drinkers, quite, you know, both quite heavy party-goers. And... Um, and probably both quite insecure, I guess, because of our backgrounds. We both came out of Celtic backgrounds. And so uh, we had this crazy, we're madly in love, but we're going to kill each other if we stay together, you know? It really was as bad as that. I could tell you many stories about <laughs> about situations that really got out of hand in, involving police and stuff like that. But, yeah, no, it was crazy. It was a crazy world. And it, alcohol was normally at the bottom of it all. Yeah. And... Um, well, one day, there was a little Elim church. We, li- we, we lived in Winton at that time. Right. So opposite uh, Sheila's flat, which we moved in together uh, pretty quickly, was this little church called Winton Elim Church. Um, Sheila had a, 
uh, a daughter who's my daughter now. Mm. Obviously love her very much. Uh, but she started going to the church to the Sunshine Corner there. And then the church uh, invited us to go. Um, I th honestly, I thought they were crazy, <laughs> crazy people. Um, but I thought, oh, maybe this would be a good fix for Sheila. Because Sheila had all the problems, you see. You didn't have any problems. No, 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 no. I was fine. It was Sheila. We need to fix Sheila. So, <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll go. <laughs> I'll... To help get her fixed. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah. And, um, and so we went and, <clears throat> excuse me. I arrived home from work one day as an engineer, as you mentioned earlier. I arrived home from work uh, one evening and Sheila said, uh, you need to sit down, I've got some news for you. So I said, what's that? And she said, um, I found the Lord. And it was like the <laughs> it was the worst thing I could ever imagine happening. I just wanted to get religion and fixed. I didn't want a fanatic. Um, and so I really lost it. Uh, we rowed for pretty much the whole week. Uh, until a point where I said, that's it, I can't manage this anymore. Uh, I'm out of here, I'm off. And um, jumped in the car. I gave Sheila the A to Z of what I thought of her and her God. Uh, it's probably about 10 o'clock at night, maybe. Jumped in the car. Um, I was heading off to Scotland. I don't know why I was going to Scotland. Uh, pulled in to get some petrol and I was swearing I had such a potty mouth in those days. As an engineer, I guess. Um, and I was swearing and cursing this God, what have you done? We came to you for help and you split us up. You know, what kind of God would do that? Uh, which is an interesting thing for an atheist to be talking to God. I understand the, the yes. like, yes. contradiction in yeah. that. There is no God, but I'm going to blame you anyway. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, and, and as I was driving, I found the cursing turned into a prayer. And I don't even know how it happened to this day, but... You know, this this railing at God turned into a, if you if you're real and you exist, then fix me because I'm in a mess. I I, I I'm hurting. I don't know who I am. I, I cause devastation wherever I go. Um, if if you're real, then sort me out. And wow. And while I was saying that, I found I was driving back to where I'd left uh, a devastated young lady who didn't deserve any of the stuff that she got from me. And sat on the end of the bed when I got there and just said to her, um, I don't know whether there's a God or not, but if there is, as far as I can see, that's the only chance I've got. Because I don't know where else to take the crazy life that I have. Goodness me. So at that point, you, you'd say you recognised that there was a God and you... Well, or was it later on that you actually sort of submitted your life to Christ? I'm, I'm, I'm a journey kind yeah. of person, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some people have a specific time and date, don't they, when they say, well, you know what, it was at 10 o'clock on this day, on that day, but others, as you say, mm. have a slightly different... As we work through this, you'll probably see some of this come out, but what yeah. I did that night, Norman Warren, um, Journey Into Life, um, Sheila Reduce that, that's a little booklet for those out there that don't know. It's a really good little booklet, actually. So just say that again, Norman... Norman Warren. Norman Warren's Journey Into Life. Journey Into Life. It's probably five pages, and it's okay. probably one of the best tools I've ever used for leading people to Jesus. Um, and I, I read it that night, and read the prayer at the end and gave my life to Jesus. Mm. Not even sure if he existed, not even sure if God was there. Mm. But um, what have I got to lose? There's yeah. no, there's no other road for me. Mm. 
Fantastic. Now, you obviously, well, years down the line now, but so how would you answer the question, why do you follow Jesus? And then I'll ask you about some other, you know, the, your journey. So yeah. why, do you, why do you follow Jesus? Because I can't see another way. Um, when when Jesus, when whenever I really plugged into Jesus, um, I was a very selfish person, um, a bad judge of character and stuff, bad decision maker. Um, the day Jesus got hold of my life properly, uh, all that changed. Um, I, I suddenly discovered I had a conscience, which I'd never really felt before. Hmm. Um, I felt genuinely sick about the person that I was, really disliked who I'd become. And, and so Jesus coming into my life began to challenge every area, I guess, because... Um, well, he just did. I, I can remember the day after I prayed that prayer, I was at work and somebody came up with a really filthy joke that I would have normally been right in the middle of and <laughs> applauding it, you know, yeah. encouraging it and, yeah, and yeah, adding yeah. my bit as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just felt this incredible weight of, oh, this is awful. Um, and so I kind of had to make, make my excuses and and kind of go off somewhere else. Mm. Um, and I, I could never think of going back there again. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Now, um, what was family life like for you growing up? It was it was nuts, to be honest. My dad was a northerner, um, and my mother was as well, but my dad was a hard northerner, so um, he'd, he'd been brought up in a pretty much a no-love, no-affection kind of environment. Um, huge controller of the family um, it's okay to say this I guess because he's passed away now but um, he he was quite violent um, towards us as kids he certainly believed in corporal punishment mm -hmm. um, he he would hit my mum they were continually arguing and rowing uh, so I think that's probably the birth of my insecurities mm. um, yeah, and he, he I, I think, I don't know whether it's coming up later or not, but I'll mention it now. We were out on a boat in Holes Bay because we, we were brought up in a place called Sturt in Paul in Dorset before they reclaimed a lot of the bay. And so the seas always played a big part in my life. Well, we went out on the boat. I think there was myself, my brother, and one of my sisters, I think, and my dad. I think that was it. And um, he gave my sister the tiller. Uh, to have a go, um, she it wasn't a speedboat, but it was pretty quick, and she flung it hard, hard over. The boat lurched across. I was sitting on the cabin, slid off the cabin into the water. My dad went over to try and catch me, uh, which and he was a big lad, <laughs> so there's a significant weight shift in this little boat. The boat goes over, and um, we're underneath, and uh, just just a you know really a very serious situation i mean we all came out of it okay uh, thankfully mm. um but the impacting thing happened straight afterwards he said to us if your mother had been and actually he'd had an argument with my mum that's what happened he had an argument with my mum my mum she got off the boat somewhere else and was getting a bus home uh, in a proper huff and uh, he was bringing us a lot back but he said to us, when we'd righted the boat and we were back in the boat, he said to us, if your mother had been on the boat, 
I'd have saved your mother before I'd have ever saved one of you kids because I married your mother uh, and she's the most important person to me beyond you kids. Yeah, it's and, you, and you were you were young, weren't you? I was four. You were mm. four years old, and you still remember that. Uh, it's indelibly marked in Goodness my me. mind. Yeah. Goodness me. Yeah. Now you left school at sixteen to do yep. an apprenticeship uh, with an aerospace engineering company in Poole. Mm-hmm. Um, were you always going to be an engineer? Or were you cut out for that? I mean, why engineering? Uh, my dad was an engineer. He's always run his own engineering company. He wanted me to join with him in it. Um, I wanted to do anything but engineering. Um, however, because I guess I've been brought up in that environment, I've been working for my dad since I was probably 10, 11. So by the time I was 16, I was a pretty switched on engineer. Yeah, so it was a sort of obvious move to go into that. It was an obvious move, yeah. And the company I went and worked for was a, it was a company called Ward Engineering, which in those days was a very well-known aerospace company um and they actually paid a proper wage which my dad would never pay yeah yeah so. and in the early 90s you were called into ministry as an assistant pastor of an elam church uh, near bournemouth yeah i mean how on earth did that happen to go from being you know engineer engineer to to going into ministry well i was a very successful engineer um when i give, gave my life to jesus when i was 24 um uh and so I knew really the day I gave my life to Jesus that he was going to call me. I don't ask me how, but I just knew it. Um, so it was, it was a foregone conclusion that one day it had happened. Um, I applied for Bible College. Um, Sheila and I were going to move up to, uh, to where the Bible College was, the Elin Bible College. Um, and uh, we found out she was pregnant with our youngest son, so it was deferred. So I thought, well, okay, I'll just get on with the job. Um, began to make a lot of money. I went into technical selling, a technical selling role, when I was 29 with a big Austrian company, with all the perks that go with that, and um, began to earn a lot. Uh, and just, uh, so three years into that, just when I thought this is it, I got my life all sorted out, um, <laughs> happy days. Uh, then Jesus comes knocking back on the door again and says, you know you're going to, you were going to follow me, and um, I knew that I knew that I had to hand my notice in and go on the team. The church I was going to go to Bible college again, but the church I was in at the time, the minister said, "Would you consider coming on our team rather than going to Bible college?" So I did. So you did. Went on team in being sensitive to the Spirit of God and to an invitation. Yeah, well, that's a wonderful wonderful thing for all of us actually to be sensitive to the spirit of God's moving in our lives and then responding to invitations to serve him now from um, from 1992 until um, 2018 uh, you were the senior pastor of New Key Church in Cornwall I mean that's that's like 26 years um, and I understand that the church grew substantially under your leadership there uh, from a very small number to a very large number um, so my simple question why do you think God grew the church during your time uh, grace <laughs> um, probably I mean when we went there there were 17 people um, we we grew the church to 50 
and then I, I had a very a huge impact of the Holy Spirit, which I thought was going to be a great thing for the church, but actually we had two or three families leave because they couldn't handle the Pentecostal hit that I'd had. Talk, I mean, tell me about you that. You hear about that? Yeah, okay, because that, that's probably the root of what you're asking, actually, to be honest, thinking about it. Mm. So what happened was, it was during a controversial time, the Toronto Blessing. Right. Um, I was new in ministry. Uh, my wife and I were new in ministry, and we thought, we've got to figure out what this is, because now we're responsible for people. So, so we drove up to Wembley Arena to hear Rodney Howe Brown speak, and it all seemed pretty crazy to us. Um, there, there were probably what I would suggest could have been demonic manifestation. However, parallel to that, there were very clearly people getting completely um, filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we kind of left that thinking, well, that's really how we, now we don't know on earth what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, but I think it was about a month later, I was due to a probationers conference because I was training for ministry with Elim. They had a combined conference with AOG um, at Mattersea Hall. I remember distinctly going into a graveyard before the main celebration was going to start that was going to kick this thing off. And I can remember walking around the graveyard uh, just desperate for God to do something, confused, to be honest. But I knew that what I had wasn't enough. Um, and just shouting, you know, for God to do something in my life. Went into the meeting after that. Um, I remember the title of the message was Maintaining a, a Balance Between the Spirit and the Word. Uh, <laughs> but he never got to preach because the Holy Spirit turned up. And I think 400 delegates were it was just carnage i've never seen anything like it before or since um it's a very significant genuine move of god do you want to hear the detail of what mm. happened because it might be important mm. what happened was was um we were singing we were worshiping and there was a wave went through the room and it was like a mexican wave but it wasn't people waving it was people falling and i was three back from the front four back from the front and i thought cracky what's happening mm. I went with the flow, so I thought, well, I'd better fall down with everybody because that's what everybody's doing. It's a shame, shame on me. I'm lying on the floor and I'm thinking, okay, good, dignified, charismatic response. Must be three minutes. <laughs> if I give it three minutes, I can get up holy and righteous and say, God's done the work. So I lay there for three minutes, completely compassmentous, nothing weird happening at all. Just as I was about to sit up, it's one of the few times I've ever heard the audible voice of God. And he said, stay where you are. And see, <laughs> mm. you said, I get upset. This is the bit that's going to upset me now. Mm. So I, tears in your eyes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I, I lay I lay there and I thought, okay, okay, this is unusual. Not had this before. And I had a vision of uh, the altar of uh, Elijah's altar. And on the altar was selfish ambition. And I can remember thinking to myself, well, this is just me being silly because I haven't got, that's a problem I haven't got. And as I watched, I saw the fire of God fall <coughs> and consume that, uh, that's, that offering. And it just, 
I can only say it broke me completely. That was me. Uh, when I did stand up, uh, it was an hour later. Goodness me. Mm. And I couldn't stand. And um, I'd like to say I was a dignified Pentecostal minister that stood up, but I was a snotty mess. Mm. Um, mm. And a couple of guys came over and helped me up, and uh, I couldn't couldn't walk properly. Uh, I was exhausted. Uh, but changed forever. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness me. So I think that's why the church grew. <laughs> <laughs> Not because we went back and did all that in our church, but I went back. You went so back different. I went back broken but whole, if that makes sense. Yes. I, I was being reassembled. Yes. And that was the disassembly. Right. And I can remember saying to the church, probably four weeks later, we're not doing church right. We have to get this right. This church has never been through, I think it was about 70. Mm. Um, you know, I, I'm going to take the church into prayer and fasting now. And whatever God says goes, um, as far as I'm concerned, we're going to rewrite it because what we've been doing for 60 years uh, isn't cutting it. Really? So let's do what he says. Really? Mm. So um, I remember talking to you before um, this interview. You 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 would have said before that time that you had a sort of you had a knowledge of God. You had a head knowledge of God. Yeah. You know, obviously you, you're a pastor. You're preaching and teaching. Yeah. But actually, after that, it sort of went from a sort of knowledge to a to a real powerful mm. experience of God and and a, and a change. So I guess did your preaching change? Yeah, everything changed. Everything changed. Just everything. I became real. Um, I wasn't a platform performer yeah. um, anymore. Uh, I I was hungry for what God wanted. Mm. Um, the bit the big the big change came for me, and this this. Uh, if there's any ministers out there listening to this, this is the gold, if there is gold in this, for me. Um, I'd preached and taught on the love of God and the Father heart of God for years um, prior to that. And theologically, I was pretty sound. I had a good theology of it, and I understood it, and yada, yada, yada. And we'll pray for people to have revelation of it. But I didn't realise I didn't have revelation of it myself. And what happened was, was we were, um, I think we'd grown the church to about 70 I was struggling, uh, we kept hitting the barriers, you know, and I was in a cafe with Sheila, my wife, and we're chatting, and I said to Sheila, you know what, I think I just want to go back into business, because this is, this is hard for me, all this ministry and dealing with people, I, I, I struggle with it, you know, and in my spirit, there was a, uh, uh, there was a, a story happening in my spirit while I'm talking to her, that's the only way I can put it. And I could hear God saying to me, Mike, um, I love you and thank you for staying as long as you've stayed. Um, if you decide to go, I'm going to bless you. Um, my blessing will never stop for you. If you can't take any more, I understand. <laughs> uh, and I'll love you through that transition. So understand that I'm going to bless you either way but as your father and that's the bit that got me I'm asking you please stay <laughs> and that that was the bit that I'd never understood with God 
I guess because of my father, maybe others listening to this maybe have never been through that, but for me, everything was mm. conditional, everything was driven, everything was performance. Um, I made a commitment, I've got to keep to that commitment. If I back out of that commitment, I'm a failure. And it was a completely different father that spoke to me. He turned from God to father. Matthew, uh, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, first revelation he gives us, what does he say? When you pray, you say, our father, our father. And it, 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 I'd never seen it like that. Never seen it, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm in love with my dad. Oh, amazing! <laughs> and I guess, I guess, uh, ministering down in UK, it's you know, beaches, surfing. I guess holiday. A lot of holiday people come down and come to the church. I, I, and I remember going to your church um, yeah. a couple of years ago. It was a wonderful, wonderful service. Um, now, <clears throat> um, you now work for Compassion. Mm. Um, and you've just recently started working for Compassion so just give us a taste of your work with Compassion so um, a year ago I I, um, I listened to a, a, a video by a guy called Richmond Wondera it's on the Compassion website that's www, no I'm kidding it's on the <laughs> Compassion website under Uganda um, in all seriousness, if somebody wants to listen to it. But I spent my life raising leaders because the church grew uh, and we were continually raising leaders who went off and did fantastic things way beyond anything I could do. Um, when I listened to Richmond speak, Richmond uh, tells the story of how his father was shot when he was six, I think he was six, uh, in Uganda. Uh, he was, they were thrown out on the street, he had to resort to begging and so on and so on and so on, uh, until a 15-year-old girl sponsored him for £25 a month. And she began to write to him saying, Richmond, God loves you, we love you, we're praying for you, he has a plan for your life. He wasn't a Christian. Um, gives his life to Jesus at the age of eight, I think it was. Fast forward, he then talks about how God called him into ministry. Um, he set up a pastor's discipleship network, training pastors to change Uganda. Oh, I don't believe you said that. I, I, I need to talk to you about that in a second. Uh, but carry on, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, it blew me away because £15 a month, a 15-year-old girl, this guy is changing a nation, raising leaders in a nation. I spent my life trying to raise leaders. I've never seen anything as effective as this, ever. Uh, and it, it just got me it was like a gate opened in my heart mm. and i felt god say these are your richest best years you can have the glory position on the platform in easy life or you can start again with me what do you want to do and uh it's irresistible it's a complete reinvention so i joined compassion um just as a footnote to that richmond facebooked out eight weeks ago he's just had his four thousandth pastor go through his training program do you know what? It's so uh, I didn't know that you were going to raise this in this interview. Um, Preset Ministries is very active in Africa. Um, a very good friend of ours, Stuart Kemsley, is the director for uh, for Precept in Africa. He lives in South Africa, but he travels widely across Africa. Mm. And um, he uh, is extremely close with the Pastors Discipleship Network <laughs> um, to such an extent that um, Stuart is being... Uh, not employed because he's employed by Precept, but he, what Stuart does in terms of equipping people with how to study God's word has been totally embraced by the Pastors Discipleship Network. And Stuart um, 
is, I guess, one of the things that <clears throat> uh, PDN does in terms of equipping pastors to be able to study the Bible for themselves and then to preach biblically to their people. Uh, what I must do after this interview is show you a video that Precept put together last year about the impact of what Stuart has been doing with PDN in Uganda. It's ah. like a four minute video and it will bless your socks off. Um, so that is so interesting that you raised that <laughs> issue with Pastor's Discipleship. <laughs> so this guy that you're talking about, did he set up the Pastor's Discipleship Network? Richmond Wondari, yeah. Well, he will know Stuart extremely well. Yeah. They, they will be working together as we speak. I think it's a gold moment, isn't it? It's, um, I, I love it. I, lo <laughs> I love stuff like that. But that, so you can see the, the attraction as a leader, as a trainer of leaders. Hmm. Um, I, I think there's a revival going on. And I, I think we're praying for revival. I, I think it's revival now. Mm. There's, there's, there's. The, I, I don't know whether I'm allowed to quote this figure or not. So this might be a bit of an elastic figure or non-quantifiable figure. But certainly, uh, the number of 158,000 children saved last year uh, has been mentioned. Um, these kids. I think the Widdick report, which is a secular report on compassion, I think it's 80 something percent of children that graduate go back and meaningfully and positively change their community. I told you a story about a guy on a plane on the way back from Uganda a couple of weeks ago. He's, a, he's, a, he's the head of a law company and when he asked me what I did and I told him he said I was a compassion child. Oh, and he's flown off to the States for his second or third masters and I said to him, are you still connected with compassion? And he looked at me and he said, every Saturday I go into my old project, I teach the children about human rights and about their legal rights, mm -hmm. and I answer any questions they might have about law. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. um, now, um, you, you've been a pastor, you've been a teacher of God's word. Um, why is the word of God important to you? It is important to me because it is the only pure, non-biased document that I think is in existence anywhere. Everything else is corrupt and I appreciate, I am a theologian, I've, I've studied hard and I've got my degrees and so on, or degree, but the Word of God is living and active it definitely is and it it is the only thing that brings wisdom that is pure into our lives in my opinion everything mm. else is biased has a tinge or a twist in it mm. but the word of god stands unique uh, it's outside of corruption wow wow that's wonderful wonderful to hear um how do you study it? Or how do you know when you were preaching regularly? How would you how would you go about that? Same. I mean, do mm. hmm? I same as I do now? I'm systematic, so um, I, I study it in an expository fashion. Yep. Um, so I work. I'm working my way through John at the moment, verse by verse. Um, I've got a real nice, um, fancy iPad with a pen. Yeah. Um, so, which is beautiful because I copy the verses across, I colour them in, I can draw me pictures. Do I can you? Write so you're notes. very interactive with the word, are you? Oh, with completely, it? really, yeah. unashamedly, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
You sound like a good precept student to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we get on so well. <laughs> oh. No, it's interesting. I mean, you know, in our, in our training with precept, we we, uh, we we encourage people to mark the text. You know, yeah. You know, mark the references to Jesus and, and and make a list about what you learn about Jesus. And and uh, when people say, "Oh, why do I need to mark the text? Why do I need to do that?" You know, well, because it's going to slow you down to really see what it's saying. So you're saying you use. You do that. You get. Very... I, draw, I, 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 I highlight text. I circle it. I draw mm. pictures by it. I'll import pictures into it. I'll colour it. I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do to, to remind me mm. when I go back through it yeah. of the impact that that particular verse or scripture had on me at the time. Mm. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mm. Well, I'm so pleased to hear you say that. Um, mm. and for those of you that may be listening... Um, uh, and you'd probably you'd probably share this thought with me that um, you know if you're going to if you're going to preach a message, um, you're the one that learns the most <laughs> in, yeah. in in digging out the truth to be able to then communicate it, aren't you? You're you're Definitely. the one that's being impacted the most. And and I would just say to those of you listening, if if you want to be impacted radically by God uh, by studying His Word, then I would encourage you to connect with us. Um, we run a Bible school, we run teaching training, we do online studies. Uh, please contact us at Precept Ministries UK and we will be, you know, God has raised up Precept to, to help people to be able to study God's word. So I just wanted to mention that to you. Now, do you have a favourite uh, Bible book or character, Mike? Yeah, all of those. Um, <laughs> favourite verse would be... Um, or book, first of all. Oh, book. Okay, so... A book or character, to start with. Is okay. there a particular book that you Hag would... Haggai would be... Haggai? Yeah. Okay, so give us a two-minute synopsis of Haggai. <laughs> Haggai was... Uh, he's, he's, he's the guy that had to go and wake up <laughs> Israel. Israel had started uh, rebuilding the temple after the exile. And uh, through discouragement and various factors, they, the work had got forgotten... And the key, one of the key verses in there, you'll probably know, you probably all know it, is why do you dwell in your panelled houses while the house of God is a ruin? So God raises up Haggai, go back and shake these people out of their slumber. I need to build the house of God. Now, if ever we needed a prophetic word over the church today, that is it. You know, get out of your panelled houses, get off your blessed assurance and build my house build my house and the whole thing is driven with the prophetic the fact that the altar's put in first and da, 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 da. so yeah he's one of my heroes one of my all-time heroes isn't that wonderful mm. yeah. and it's dated the book is dated as well there are certain yeah. dates in there the 27th yeah, yeah. day of the sixth month and so yeah, from yeah, this yeah. day i'll bless you and yes yes so on dates so. are very significant 520 bc i think it was haggai mm. god raised up haggai 520 bc just after they got back as you say from the land mm. amazing fantastic so that's your favourite, well that's both a book and a character really. So what about a verse? Is there a particular verse that... Um... Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new's come. Um, whoever's out there listening to this will probably know that. If you don't know it, um, the fact that God reprogrammed me completely. He, he deleted all the old files over the years. He's, it's probably still job in progress I guess there's still a few um, viruses floating around inside this computer but um, he the, the fact that he he recreates and 
I've heard this said a few times. He creates the best possible version of me that there is. The best possible version. A new creature, new start, new beginning. New every morning. Every day I stuff it up, I can go back to him and say, make me new. Mike, let's say there's somebody listening to this podcast uh, who would love what you have just mm. said. That they recognise something of themselves in what you've, you, you've said. Uh, there may be struggles, difficulties, addictions, whatever. And they, they want to be the best version mm. of who they are. And they recognise that actually they're not that right now. Right. What would you say if, if that person were here with us now mm-hmm. and asking you, well, how do I do that? What do I do? Mm. What would you say to them? I'd say you need to submit yourself to Christ, basically. You need to get on your knees and in the best way possible just say, Jesus, um, the, the program's corrupt, come in my life, come into my life and give me a conscience, give me conviction, give me your spirit, fill me with your spirit. I would then say, begin to read the word exactly the way Precept would say it. Read the word, not surface, but read it properly. Uh, Bit by bit, you don't have to read it all in a year. Um, Don't burden yourself with stuff like that, but maybe plug yourself into a good section of it, maybe the Gospel of John, which is one of my favourites. Yes. uh, And read it and suck it up and allow it to wash you. It will wash out all the crud and the rubbish that's been put in there. Uh, Develop an action plan through it write notes that means that for me this that means this so as you're reading it as as you sense yeah as you're understanding what you're reading and seeing things then yeah. you say make make notes of those things so i mean you're Completely. talking about taking it seriously not not just casually but actually really yeah. reading it and seeking to understand what's going on with it yeah <laughs> it's 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 easy for somebody to say i've read the bible in a year um, and I don't knock it. Hey, if you're out there and you read the Bible in a year, well done. It's brilliant. Yeah. And I've yeah. done it. I've, done, I've actually done it. Yeah. But to read it properly, um, you, need, you need to have time within your program where you read it and you allow it to inform you and you make notes about what it's saying to you so that you can go back to those notes time after time after time and refresh yourself of the revelation that God gave. It's a living word. It's beautiful. And of course, we know that as Christians, you know, we're not when we submit, as you said there, we 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 turn to Christ. You know, we we recognise our place before a holy God. You know, we 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 say sorry to God for what we've done. We we're seeking to follow Him. We know that when that happens, life's not going to be a breeze, is it? Oh, definitely not, no. No, uh, no, no, no. You know, it's not all sunshine and roses once we've committed ourselves to Christ and so- seek to find out more about him and follow him. Yeah. Um, so in the tough times that come, yeah. which we inevitably will come, be that from family. Yeah. So, you know, what do you do? You, you, you're a crazy man. You, you've gone and you'll follow Jesus. Have you lost your mind? You know, um, how would you encourage someone to work through the tough times or, or maybe the rejection or the persecution, the, the difficulties that may come at work as a result of being a follower of Jesus, because we know that that does happen. Mm. Well, I'm a systematic person, so I would suggest <laughs> that they plug into a program like Preset, like Recovery, like uh, Bondage Breaker, Freedom in Christ, 
um, we saw great results when we began to put in programs that were Bible based that would help people through um, what Rick Warren would call your hurts, habits and hang-ups. Um, everybody's recovering. It doesn't. You could be a Christian for 70 years and glow in the dark, but you're still recovering. There's, you're not finished yet. There's still another level to go to and that will only come when you systematically tackle those things through the Word of God. With the power of the Spirit, Amen. It's the two together. You can't you can't just read it. <clears throat> you've, got, you've got to let the Spirit empower you to deal with that stuff. And just for the record, Sheila and I, we got married. We we were killing each other, as I mentioned. Uh, we got married. I'd love to say that we stopped trying to kill each other. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we we spent the first <laughs> three years, I think, in every program imaginable to stop us killing each other. And on a bad day today, folks, I'm saying it publicly, it can sometimes still go wrong because mm. we're still... We're, we're in this, process. Yeah, we're still, still a work in progress. The flesh mm. is still definitely there. The difference is, is we've got a hope and a certainty in Christ and through his word, we know we can come through it. Mm. <laughs> Mike, um, <clears throat> thank you for your honesty. Uh, thank you for your humility and your vulnerability in sharing your story. Um, um, and also your passion for Christ, you know, I think um, I think that comes through very strongly. And clearly God's got a new season for you mm -hmm. uh, with compassion. I can see that you're really passionate about compassion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we sponsor Abel in, in Togo ourselves. And uh, it's, a, it's wonderful. God's not finished with us at any stage. Uh, you know, while there's breath, there's a job for us to do. Couldn't agree more. Can I can I mention what my job is for a moment? Is that mm -hmm. is that okay? Yeah, we talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so I'm a I'm a I'm a senior uh, partnership manager, which means basically that I link into churches um, who who want to connect with us um, to see as many children set free from poverty as possible, and I connect the mission field in the local church here in the UK with a mission field in the local church in the field and uh, it is the most powerful thing I've ever seen um, it connects churches real time so I've just come back from Uganda with a church uh, a Baptist church that went out to visit the church where all the children are that they sponsor they preach there they teach there they've built a classroom for the children they meet the children <clears throat> the church it really engages churches meaningfully with a world-changing dynamic that is off the scale you cannot believe the power of what god's doing through compassion it is unbelievable mm. unbelievable mm. well god bless you in that work may he um, protect you in it give you the wisdom that you need the strength that you need thank you and may many people be brought to christ through what you do so thank you so much for being on the podcast today You've been listening to Series 6 of the Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review. For more information on the inductive study method or any of our online resources or downloads, please visit www.preset.org.uk. But until next time, thank you for listening.